Alright, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask and we say as we study this, your word this evening, we say there is light, there is clarity, all our doubts are dissolved, all confusion is gone, and we say we can behold you clearly as we see ourselves in you, and we say your name alone is glorified, and we are edified in the name of Jesus. Amen. Alright, <coughs> Bible Eminotics. <coughs> So we said the Bible is a piece of literature and um, that it means it must be written, it must be read, it must be interpreted, and it must be understood um, with the consideration of regular use of words. And we said, what is Bible hermeneutics? Bible hermeneutics is that branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of Bible or literal text, especially your Bible or literal text, and um, we we've, we've, we 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 said uh, we talked about intertextual corroboration. And we said that uh, we, we I think we've been looking at intertextual corroboration. Uh, we said does can a scripture have multiple meaning? We even looked at even identification unifiers and. Um, Yes, yeah, so we, 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 let's let's just kick, let's just eat the home running, and um, so we said, what's the role of the reader today? And one thing about Bible hermeneutics is that once you can understand um, how to study the Bible and how to explain the scriptures, it would uh, you you would as it were, it will be like many of your study and approach to the scriptures will be will be much clearer than it usually has been because i believe that the major problem of bible study today is the lack of interpretations one of the things i'm going to explain probably maybe next series maybe not in this series is <coughs> sorry dangers of wrong interpretation what are the dangers what's what are the errors that it leads to? And because our mind is flooded with so many wrong beliefs, we need Bible interpretations to clear our minds. So that would mean that the, a church has to consistently, as we grow in God's word, as we eat certain buttons in the scriptures, we consistently need Bible hermeneutics to dissolve our doubts. Are you getting me? So as a local church, I told us that as we are growing in God's word, we'll consistently be needing Bible hermeneutics at every junction. With this series one, I think two years ago, because we needed it at that junction to help us to address certain issues. That's why you notice most of the teachings were involving around that conversation. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now we are embarking on this journey. <clears throat> So that would mean that we're going to be on this journey probably for a while or probably for a shorter time. But we're going to see how far we can go. Now, so we said, what's the role of the reader? So, like I said, in understanding a literary piece, the reader <coughs> ought to apply his mind to the fact that the author has already wielded his authority to the text. So that means the reader must find out what the concept, what the concept behind the text is, and this can be done by asking the following question. What are the questions that we ask? What is the thematic concept here? What is the thematic concept? What is the author 
thematic. What is the author? Um, <clears throat> what is the author or writer addressing in the paragraph? So this implies, and, and as, like I said, this implies that every book or letter or text has both a direct audience and a wider audience. So that will mean to us that as we keep studying the scripture. Every book has a direct audience, just like Genesis. I've told you that the direct audience of Genesis are, is their, their audience is Agarian in nature. Are you seeing it? So that means that Moses would use things he can see, things he can use to communicate to his audience. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, so that would mean that the audience are direct and either. And like I was saying the other time, I said that. People asked a question and said, was there, uh, look at Adam, was there a physical, was, there, was it a literal story or a figurative story? It is both. We can use Adam in a wider perspective and we can, and Adam as a person existed. There was a man called Adam. Why? Because he had genealogy. If he didn't have genealogy, then there would have been a problem. But we can trace his history. We can say this is his children. We can say this is his great-grandfather. This is his great-grandson. Are you getting what I'm saying? We can trace it. So that shows that there is a man in history called Adam. And there is a woman in history called Eve. But can we use it in a wilder perspective and say, okay, just like how Paul used it and said, there is the last Adam. There is the second. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So there is always that perspective in scripture. Uh, no. So, the direct audience determines when the book or text is carefully read in context. Now, let's see an instance in Deuteronomy 1 verse 1. Look at Deuteronomy 1 verse 1. The direct audience deal. Look at Deuteronomy 1 verse 1. Let's open our Bibles quickly. Deuteronomy 1 verse 1. Deuteronomy 1 verse 1. Alright, are you there? It says this. It says this be the words which Moses spake unto all what, all Israel. So that shows now, who is his audience? All Israel. Where is audience? Are you an Israelite? No. Are you even? Are, is he even the Israelite of today's world? Obviously, no. Are you seeing it? So now, on this side of Jordan in the wilderness. So is this, look at it. Is this this word that Moses speak unto all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain against the Red Sea, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Israel. So that shows there were people in just a specific location he was talking to. So in the world of Moses, now, that is the author, that is the guy who puts in the first five books, in the world of the reader, which captured the account of the Jews, it documented words directly linked to the Jewish people. So, however, in the world of the reader, the readers of the Bible, that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number, are a wider audience. So, we will have a wider audience of those books. And... Um, that means the, the reader will bear in mind. Don't forget, we are saying what is the role. We are looking at what is the role of the reader. So, the role of the reader, that is you and I. What is the role of the reader? I think I like writing like this. It's sweeter. 
what is the role of the reader it's um and who is the reader obviously it is you and i that is the reader right now so and like so that means there will be a direct audience right and a wider audience so the common factor can be uh locations of person like i said the reader should therefore be able to identify the um uh, so one of let me let me give you certain things that as readers we, we should identify as we study scriptures uh the reader the reader should be able to identify the unifier i'm going to explain identification unifier again the unifier um and you must be patient and diligent with the study of the scriptures because it's it will be so necessary for us to understand uh systematic theology we must understand systematic theology and we must so in being diligent also we must we must be diligent with the writings we must pick it carefully the reader or the bible teacher must learn to advance a test by reading it in a systematic way now what is a systematic reading let me explain what systematic reading is for you what is a systematic reading so a systematic reading implies reading the narrative found in the scripture is systematic reading systematic reading systematic reading implies writing the narrative found in the scripture in order to have the meaning intended by the author in order to have the meaning intended by the author in order to have the meaning intended by the author or writer of the text, it implies. Now, watch out for those of you that will still take exams. These are these are details you must pay attention to. What is systematic reading? Systematic reading implies reading the narrative found in scriptures in order to have a meaning intended by the author and writer of the text, and this implies the fact that. The writer reads, and why, why is this necessary? Because the writer reads uh, authority to the text. The writer reads the authority to the text and does not have absolute, um, and does not have, abs uh, that does not have sub the text, sorry, not absolute, does not have sub the text of the semantic study. So now, that shows that it is very critical that the reader has a role to play. You and I, I wish we are the readers, we have a role to play. And a holistic perspective will be captured in the, will be to capture the word of the writer. So you and I have to go back to the word of the writer. And we have to sit down in their word to understand what the text sub, sub, subsumes in their word. So in, from the reading, so for what we have said so far, the text and the the existing issues can be resolved for the reader now. Because let me tell you something: the problem of Bible study is actually based. It cannot be the writer, obviously. Hope you know, because the writer is the one that knows what he's talking about. The problem is actually the reader. We that we are reading it, and we are now the one confused. Just like people will read serpents now and say. Eh, Serpent is that guy who was crawling before and he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, what they say it is, he wasn't uh, uh, speaking or saying anything before, but he was just, uh, what, what, what would they say he was? He was that guy that, 
was calling with his belly and he, he was talking before but suddenly he cannot talk again now so you see that a lot of people have interjected different things in fact i was listening to somebody on on uh, on a preacher on the facebook video one day and the preacher was say he texted his pastor and he was asking the pastor i say what does the lion mean he says the lion stand for the it's how people just weed so many things say the lion stand for the Ah, I forgot how he said. He said the lion stand for this something, and so this, when you hear that, you don't wonder, wow, Allah ko abahu. Ah, the way they can explain these things, you know, a lot of people have so many mysteries. They'll tell you what does this stand for? This stand for this? This stand for that? And you don't be wondering, chapter what verse what in the scripture? So the reader is actually the problem of Bible study, such that they don't have that. I, and you see, as you keep growing, you keep implying, as you keep growing, even in ministry and in understanding, and even in explaining the scripture, you keep understanding what, the import of explaining things well, because your audience will have so many DFOs. That's why personally, I'm very careful of what I explain, and I make sure that whatever I'm explaining, I'm explaining it very well, because I know you are going to teach your audience this. I know that uh, you are going to use the same materials to teach. It's just like all our centers and all our churches now. They are using our materials to teach and teach it like that. I'm sure that those preachers are adding so dear to what I said. <laughs> I'm definitely sure. You can't escape it. It is. I'm sure that even things I never explain, they are, they are giving, they are, they are using their hand to explain it. I say, you know, like, like Pastor even said, and I did not say it too, but just. So that their audience can understand what they are saying. <laughs> they are putting I'm not sure some of you have done it before. You want to explain maybe born again and you just say like like my pastor said and I did not say it. <laughs> and I really did not say it. You know deep in your heart that, that was not what I said. <laughs> but you know what was I mean? At least I'm not recorded. <laughs> I think I've got the one on cloud. <laughs> you just say whatever. Actually, when you, maybe when you are teaching what the devil really wants, just because you want to attack your disciples very well, maybe you have seen whatever, or maybe maybe you are teaching the, uh, how to keep the devil far away from you, and you really want to attack your disciples very well, say, maybe you didn't know their friends, and you didn't know everything. I pity you. You know I did not put I pity you in the message. Say, I pity you. You are still talking to that person. You are still talking to that person. You are still, my pastor even said that you should not know. Ah, I did not see it. You know I did not see it. So, everybody has their way of adding so deep. It's Macaques that said that. He said, every picture, every picture must be careful of the members because people always add their so dear for to everything. So, so, even me, I'm more careful of what I explain now because that's why it seemed like I am very, very scripted when I'm explaining things because I know that it's going to go beyond me. So I, I am prepared for things like that, especially the fact that you are going to use the materials to teach someday. You are going to have to, so that when you two are also teaching, you are saying the same thing. You, are, you have it written down and you can communicate it the same way. Look at this Bible. Everybody. I trust God that in 10 years to come, 20 years to come, 50 years to come, you will stand up and be teaching these materials too. And you will say, see, this is our pastor also two doors up too. One Saturday morning, I not let us go. You too. Sit down <laughs> and yay. It's a corroboration.
and you'll be adding the sodium force that I did not add. No, just stay put. Hallelujah. So, because if you a slight mistake can upturn the entire thing you are saying, are you getting what I'm saying? So, and that's the issue. It's that's why um, you have to be a patient. That's why I used to teach you. Don't teach messages and teaching now. You don't understand it yet. You have not fully grasped it. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's the wrongest thing you can do. It's just like you want to go and pick, let there be light now. Say so you want to go and teach it. <laughs> Something that took me years to even study. <laughs> you, how do you want to do it? You, you have to fully, you have to digest it well. Are you getting what I'm saying? And that digesting it well is not months. It's going to take years. Sit down. As I say, go back to old ones, old ones, our God, our certification. Uh, whatever, go back to those ones. That one, you know it. You have, you have grown. You know those ones. You can wake up in the dream and say, hey, what every believer needs to know. Every believer needs to know this. You can quote it. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You can quote born again. You, you, you know the Greek. You know how to finish the message. <laughs> You know how to pick that message. There's, some of you have done that message and done series one, series two, series three of the message. And me, it's just a 15 minutes message. I think I thought the message was 48 minutes. But some of you have done part one, part two, part three of the message. Ah, ah. Oh, Teachers of God's words. <laughs> but that is it. I you get to what I'm saying? It's, it's always like that. So, the issues always is the is the reader not the writer so the, the existing issues can be resolved among the writer and the text and the reader are the theology which fits number one so i want to i want to give us three things that can help us to to understand the the existing issues to be resolved among the writer the text and the reader and that's number one Theology, which is faith in God and faith in Christ. Theology, which is faith in God and faith in Christ. Number two, common unifiers in language. Common unifiers in language. Number three, unity of social interactions. Unity of social interactions. Which there are different laws for different nations. Unity of social interactions. So, in interpreting a text of the scripture, note that the events or scenarios of the Old Testament book of the Bible are to be brought into the world of the reader. I will come again. Number one, theology, which is faith in God in Christ Jesus, which is God, which is faith in God and faith in Christ. Two, common unifiers in language. Three, unity of social interactions where they are you can put that in brackets where there are laws different laws for different nations so in interpreting a text of scripture note that events scenarios of the old testament books of the bible are to be brought into the world of the reader yet not departing from the original what the original writers wrote so a reader Therefore, unifies the text, the writer, and the writer's audience. You, you, a reader must be able to unify the text of the scripture, the writer, and the writer audience. 
So, put differently also, the, the, the reader ought to combine the word of the originator of the text, that is the author, and the word in the text, that is the grammatical rules, and the word outside the text, that's the reader. So, let me explain what I'm saying. Is so, there is a word of the originator of the text. So, that's, so let's use it like, let's take Moses for instance. The word of Moses. So that's what I mean by the word of the originator of the text. That word, that agrarian word. There is that word. There is the word in the text. That is in the grammatical rules. Now, when it says grammatical, grammatical rules, in the sense that the way the writer wrote, there is, a, there is, it's just like in our language of today, we don't use the word verily, verily. Are you seeing it? Our grammatical words has changed. I remember when I was much younger, there was a word we used to use, kobalize. As we grew up, they said, no, it is no more kobalize. It is called implicate. Now, I'm sure there is another better word for it. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, so you see that um, there is grammatical word and also the word outside the text. That will mean our words today. Those things are factors of how words of the scriptures are used. So that means he or she, that is the writers or the reader of the scripture, he must be able to know the character of the author, the text and the reader. You must be able to know the character of the author, the text and the reader. More precisely, he or she must know the character of Moses. So that shows that you cannot take away their character out of their writings. You must know the character of Moses. You must know the character of Isaiah. You must know the character of Amos. You must know the character of Ezekiel. You must know the character of Uzziah. You must know the character of David. You must know the character of many of the authors of the Old Testament books. And bring them into proper perspective. So the reader has a duty of interpreting the text in the way and manner with which it was presented by the author. So the reader has to avert his mind into the mode of writing, into the mode of the writing of the Bible. So every reader and Bible teacher needs to understand the mode of writing employed in the Bible. Every reader and Bible teacher needs to understand that. So the reader must also bear in mind that what's been examined in the Old Testament books of the Bible draw their illustrations from the Jewish scriptures. For example, so that means that every word that have been examined in the Old Testament books draw their illustrations and narrative from the Jewish scriptures. Now look at, for example, in 102, Psalm 102 verse 25. Psalm 102 verse 25. Look at something. It says, Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. It now says, The foundations of the earth, or word, refers to, and when they say foundation of the earth, that's Genesis, right? Genesis 1. One or two and all of those. So in order to properly interpret um, the text or the phrase where the psalmist was referring to, you will now go back to Genesis again. Are you seeing it? So that the book of Genesis, one thing you must note, very key, and put this down. 
the book of Genesis is a governing and a principal material in understanding the concept of the Old Testament books of the Bible. The book of Genesis is a governing or a principal material in understanding the major concept of the Old Testament books. So, one question we have to learn or answer as we progress is, is it necessary for the one who reads the Bible to learn his grammar? You see, those of you that did not go to the science class now, or those of you that did not go to art class, you have met your, you have met what you were running away from. You say you want to like calculation, you like all of those things. You have met it in the Bible. So is it necessary? Is it, uh, why am I writing like this? Is it necessary? Necessary for the one who reads the Bible. to learn his grammar. Is it necessary? So because, why, why are we asking this question? Because it will appear like, it will appear hot to the student of the Bible who was trained at the time, uh, who was present at the time when the epistles was was written, this, this question we would appear quite odd to people that were there when the epistles were written and because and this is because they were schooled or trained to learn grammar. See, when people were trained in the scriptures, right, they were schooled or trained to learn grammar, that is, in the language. When people, were, when people are being taught with scriptures, Understanding of the language of the scriptures is also part of the training of the Bible. And we cannot bend that. Are you getting what I'm saying? The, and we look forward to a day where as you are coming to church, you are coming with five materials. Everybody is just, in fact, we we'll have a very large auditorium because we are going to grow into millions and millions of people hearing us. And we have a very large auditorium. Maybe we have tables. Everybody will be bringing like five different, all of us will be opening like 10 different scriptures. We'll put the opening concordance, opening everything, looking at it, precise, intense Bible study. You get what? Because the language of the Bible is part of understanding the Bible. It's very part. So because, bearing in mind the fact that the scripture, Genesis to Manaka, are documented with historical facts. These things are real. They are documented with historical facts. They are historical materials. Abraham was a real guy. Jacob was a real guy. Moses was a real... Are you getting what I'm saying? Those things were historical facts. And they were possessing indigenous mode of communication. So every time the Bible is being studied, there is a necessity to ask, what does this statement mean in that world? Every time we study the scripture, you and I must be able to ask ourselves a question. This statement, what does it mean in their world? First, because remember I told you, 
they were you were not their intended audience and you get what i'm saying just like how we were talking the other time and we said the book of luke now and art the intended audience is who theophilus one guy so many of the things that he was writing was like a defense for paul that's why the book ended with paul because he was tracing it down to who paul was and how the story of paul emerged and everything so you must obviously ask that question especially when we're studying the old testament book and why are we calling it even old testament remember no writer called it old testament hope you know there is no way you will see in the bible as a matthew say in the old testament all they said is in the scriptures so why are we using the word old testament well because in our world today that is what it is that's how you can understand but should it be so no Maybe as we progress, as the years go by in the scriptures, as we will stop using the word Old Testament, we'll say in the scriptures, so that we can align with the Bible. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll do that. I think it's right, right? But before people think us as heretic, but we don't care. I don't care, right? Me, I don't. Me, I really don't care. Everybody anything you call me, I don't care. <laughs> the word of God must be taught in precision and accuracy. It will be sharp. It will be taught. <laughs> so, so we must always ask the statement, what does this statement mean? We must always ask that question. What does this statement mean in the context of our world? Or, or what does this statement mean in the world? and in the context of the grammar so that shows that the bible preacher or the bible student falls into the category of an interpreter so me and you we are an interpreter of the scripture we fall into the, the, the category of the interpreter of the scripture and now let me come to one that i don't think you will like and translator of the facts that it was gained from the writer of the, so that shows that those people who are translating the scripture now and saying, oh, it's a King James version. Oh, it's a Favors version. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Joyce version. Oh, it's a version. Hope you know that they are in, they are also interpreters. I mean, if you know, they are interpreting the scriptures to you because they are also picking the materials right and translating it and putting it so that you will understand it that's an interpreter so every bible translation you see today is an interpretation that is why i can disagree with some translations because it is a human being that wrote it they were only interpreting it to me and that's why i can also agree with some translations because they are interpreters are you seeing it every bible preacher every translation every translator so when we start translating the Bible, when we start, you know, there will be a day where we'll go and preach and we'll go to countries and we'll have to, as we are preaching, there will be somebody sitting at, standing at our side and be translating in another language. That person also is an interpreter. Because if he's not saying my words properly <laughs> or your words properly, you know, there's a story I heard of somebody that went to Pastor Yongisho Church and said, Pastor Yongisho is that man who I told you. Some of you, I think, says one, I was telling you about uh, 
cell groups and all of those things that has the largest uh, crowd and all of those things now there's someone that went to his church to preach and see, i think he said he wanted to preach psychology wanted to preach something and he told the shows that my audience does not need this now they don't need this now ah, that you should not preach he said no that's the word from the lord this is i said okay no problem so that's the day that young Isho decided to be the interpreter so the, the guy could not speak the language that Yogisho and his audience understand. So you know what Yogisho was doing? I heard this story. They said, as the preacher was preaching his own thing, Yogisho was interpreting and preaching another thing to his own audience. <laughs> so the audience were clapping and rejoicing. And I said, yes, yes. So the, now, so the pastor now told Yogi, Pastor Yogisho, I said, don't you, you see, but you said your, past, your audience will not like what I'm preaching. Oh, they don't need what I'm preaching. Yogisho said, oh. If only you know what I'm saying <laughs> to them. So, you know, those things are quite funny. But, so, but every Bible preacher, every Bible student, every, we fall into that line of interpreting the text or translating the text. Of it. I trust God that there will be a day we'll come. We'll be able to put our materials, maybe like this, maybe we'll be able to put our materials effectively for people to understand the Bible such that maybe we can do snippets like this, pamphlets, books, and uh, okay, how to explain this text. You know, it would be so good if we do a material we put out understanding Genesis 1, 1 to 3. How about that? Just interpreting the text one by one to people and showing people, okay, this is what this text means. In his original proper the word. So that means the teacher of the scripture should be a diligent reader and he should be skillful enough to teach the truth of the Old Testament writing in his word without contradicting what is said in the word of the writing. We must be able to skillfully pick it. To It's just like when there was a pandemic, right? My pastor released a material and saying, on um on uh what was the name of that book again no 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 not that one no um god's word in a pandemic he released a, a material on god's word in a pandemic and they were able to effectively explain to us that pandemic is not today pandemic did not start today they've always been a pandemic i traced it even from the days of the scripture when people will have leprosy and they will be isolated from fellowshipping with people. So why, what, what's the essence of the alarm? Now, why were they able to put out that material? It was an effective way of calming the minds of people, especially believers, that these things are natural. And there is nothing... Yes, can the devil be in party, obviously. But these things are natural circumstances that can happen at any time. I believe in our world today, it's a complete shock that there could be a time everything will shut down. No one ever thought about it. Or there could be a time where people will legit not go to work. People will not gather physically in a church. People will not be able to fly. People will not be able to, you know. That period was quite gloomy. It was quite a time. But you know why I'm happy? The gospel advanced more in that period. The gospel. Some of you, some of you came to church in that period. 
That's when you people join church. <laughs> so you people join. So, so God's word advanced more in that period. I think we taught God's word more that period. I was having teaching meetings back to back that period. Tuesday morning, evenings, uh, Wednesday, Thursday. We have another meeting again, prayer meeting. It was just back to back then. It was. I, I was so happy that period because I was just teaching God's word, teaching God's word, teaching God's word, teaching God's word. And it's, it was quite, 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 quite. I think that's what I did stability in prayer, track 1 to 12, gifts of the Spirit, I finish it, leading of the Spirit, track 1, leading of the Spirit, series 1, track 1 to see. Then we went back. We, we, we did not stay on the... We did stability in devotion. We did forgiveness of sins. We did uh, a call for evangelism. It was quite... No, after South God was after the pandemic. After we... After we after we thought the pandemic was over, but it was still within the pandemic regime. But whoa, we thought God's word more that period. We thought God's word. I was it was like I was ready for that period. Because prior to that time, let me tell you let me tell you a background story. I just came back from a travel and I was not working. So before the pandemic, I was already studying and praying and studying and praying and studying and praying. Ah, there was not a pandemic. Everybody was not in my own condition. <laughs> oh yeah, let's all study together. <laughs> all the things I've been studying, I'm hey, let's put it to use. That was even when me and I got a job. I started working in the midst of the pandemic. <laughs> I was in night shift. <laughs> Good times, but bad times. <laughs> so nobody not gonna hear this I say pastor was in pastor was in support of pandemic. No, I was not in support of it, but I was only in support of it because God's word prospered more. The word of God prevailed, people joined church then. <laughs> so what if there was no pandemic? We would not have the likes of people like some of you in church today. Maybe you would not have thought of coming <laughs> but the word was too much for you to bear so you just had to join church then because <laughs> if you look left there was word if you look right there was word. if you look front there was word it was just word 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 it was just like i was not resting forgiveness of this series what is this to series one was taught tried up your stability in prayer track one till the end was <laughs> it was like ah uh-uh. I can't this guy just rest. Stability devotion. He was just every minute word back. Ah, I was not. I was actually not rested. I rested after the pandemic. <laughs> Do you notice that I actually started resting after the pandemic? Was that when I started resting? <laughs> you know, Jesus said that you know, sleeping through the storm, <laughs> sleep through the storm. <laughs> Well, it was a good, good, bad time. <laughs> good bad time. But it was a good time. For us as a church, it was a good time. Because we put out the word of God more. And I think more people heard us more that period. Um, I think there was somebody in Maryland. I think that person that lived in Maryland, you push your reach out to that person again. That person heard us more. I think it's, is it your cousin or your friend or somebody? I don't know. There's maybe Floyd. I don't know. There was somebody that, that was related or associated to some of you that used to hear us there. Some of you should probably reach out to the person again. I don't know. So, like I said, um, 
history should be taken into consideration. That is, history will mean historical words should be taken also into consideration alongside theology when Bible texts are being interpreted. Um, they should not be separated. So, the first barrier of interpretation oftentimes is language barrier. And hence, the Bible teacher should always identify unifiers across languages. Also, you must be able to identify unifiers across all languages. Let's see some examples as we look more into the scriptures now. Let's see. Um, for instance, the Greek term ecclesia in the English word means called out ecclesia. I don't know if you know what ecclesia means. I think I've said it. Okay, now. But in the Greek, uh, in the Greek, let me spell that ecclesia for you. In the Greek, um, that word ecclesia is from the word ecclesia, E-K, E-K-K, L, E, S, I, A, ecclesia. And it implies, it means called out. And it is known in the Greek mythology. It is known in the Greek mythology as those who carry out responsibilities and have rights and privilege. Or rights and privileges. In the Greek mythology, as those who carry out responsibilities and rights and privileges. They make laws, govern on behalf of an emperor. So, however, Ecclesia in the same word, employed by the writers of the Epistles to explain an entire nation of the Jews or entire nation of Israel who left Egypt. Because the way the, writer of the, epistle, the writers of the Epistles explain Ecclesia is like the guys who left, um, who left the nation, who, who, who was to explain the nation of Israel who left Egypt. And this employed that a unif this employed a unifier because the word ecclesia is not a Jewish term. Now we are doing what we are doing now is looking at language barrier and looking at communication of grammar as the implication and how it may defy in theology across world. That's what we are looking at. Now we are looking at our ecclesia. Now we are saying that we said the word ecclesia which in English language, sorry, uh, in English language means called out. In English language, it means called out. And it is known in the Greek mythology as those who carry out responsibilities, have rights and privileges. They make laws, govern on behalf of an emperor. However, that same word, Ecclesia, in the same word employed by the writers of the epistles, that is in the Greek language now, to explain an entire... So that means now, if you use the dictionary to look at Ecclesia, you will find out called out, right? Now, but in the Greek mythology in history it was used as people who carry out rights and responsibilities right privileges and all of those things you, people that make laws and govern law but the way the epistles now so that means now look at i've given you two explanations in english called out ones in greek mythology that is in the olden days it was used for people who carry out certain privileges rights and responsibilities 
Now, but in the epistles, now the third one, in the epistles, look at three different uses. In the epistles, it was used as to explain the entire nation of Israel who left Egypt. So now, how do we now do this? Identif- how do we? So by doing this, they employed the word ecclesia, and I said the word ecclesia is not a Jewish term. So that would mean that the Old Testament presents a narrative about Moses' ecclesia also, because look at something. Let's look at Numbers eleven sixteen. Because the Old Testament presents a narrative about Moses' explanation of Ecclesia. Look at Numbers eleven sixteen. Are you there? Numbers eleven sixteen. So the reason why we are doing this Bible hermeneutics is to show you, is to give you a proper abreast of abreast of when we are picking out a subject by subject study, right? And we are going in depth, looking at the grammatical context, the grammatical analysis, and all of those things. And we are going in depth into those studies. And we are saying, okay, it was used here, it was not used here. Look at how it was used, the usage, and we are tracing the word. Bible notice will give you a proper view of, okay, when the preacher is talking this way, this is it. This is how we can navigate this text. So that even before a series finish, you can easily be detecting and say, this is where it is going to end. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now look at Numbers 11 verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me the seventeen men of, of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people. And it now says, And officers over them, and people and officers over them, and bring them into tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand with thee. Tell me what's the ecclesia here. Think, think, think. I just gave you three things. Eh? No. Moses was to select 17 men who will minister alongside himself, obviously. But don't forget the use of the elders there. Don't forget also the elders. The Greek mythology, they have responsibilities and all of those things. Oh, good. Now look at Exodus 18, verse 24 to 27. Exodus 18. to 27. He says, So Moses acted unto the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses was able, Moses chose able men out of Israel, made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, fifties and rulers of ten, and they judged and they judged the people all seasons. They had courses they were brought unto Moses, and every small mother were judged on himself. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went into his own land. Now, the selection in Exodus 18 was different from what which was done in Numbers 11. The 17 men were chosen in Numbers 11. They were to occupy the offices of a prophet, right? Because if you read in Numbers 11, uh, if you read in verse 25, of this Exodus uh, Numbers 11 was it Numbers 11? 
Numbers 11, yes. It was Numbers 11 we read the other time, right? Okay, if you read verse 25 of that Numbers 11, it says they prophesied and did not cease. Right? It says they prophesied and did not cease because it said the Lord took his spirit and put it upon them. And it says they prophesied and did not cease. Also, they were to be selected on the basis of faithfulness. As they were to and they, as they were not to be immature or novice also. Men were tested and being selected into such positions because before you ordain people as ministers of the gospel or elders or something, they cannot be immature, they cannot be novice, they must be faithful also, they must be, I mean, they must be tested, tried, tested and trusted. <laughs> How does it tried, tested and tried, tested and trusted? <laughs> something like that. So now notice the word elder. In Numbers 11. That word elder is from the Hebrew word zaphin, zapin, or Z A P, no, not P, Z A Q E N, Za Q E N. And it implies officers. Officers. So they were to be chosen to serve. In an official capacity, Z A Q U Q E N, and they were to be chosen to serve in an official capacity, and it's used for a short-term office, and that's what it's like a short-term office, and that's what was referred to in Exodus five verse fifteen, Exodus five verse fifteen, when it says, um, "The officers of the children of Israel came and carried Pharaoh, saying, that this says the officers of the children of Israel." So now, in Numbers 11, Moses chose men from the people or the gathering. He picked overseers. He picked prophets. And this was a responsibility that was not discharged in a frivolous manner. But, in all, but I mean, a responsibility that must be handled with um, gravity and soberness. But look at something. He, the word... Elder is found in the ecclesia of Moses. Because a key term to consider the term elders and rulers, because there was no record that existed of individual men who ruled over the people. But Moses' ecclesia produced plurality and leadership. You know? When we say ecclesia now, we are saying the church, right? We are saying, in our world today now, we are saying ecclesia means the called out ones, the church. Now, Moses' ecclesia, so when I say Moses' ecclesia now, what is on your mind? Moses' church. Moses' church. Moses' ecclesia. When I say Moses' ecclesia, we can say Moses, if I say Ayomide's ecclesia now, we mean Moses, Ayomide's people, right? We are coming. I'm, we are showing you the, the eventual destination. When we say ecclesia now, we say we mean church before now, right? Ecclesia means gathering, church, gathering of people and all of those things. Now, look at it. The word elder is found in the ecclesia of Moses. But a key term to consider as the term, elders and rulers. And I want you to notice something that until now, no record existed of individual men who ruled over people. For the first time, Moses' ecclesia produced plurality and leadership. 
So, for the first time, we are seeing leaders in Moses' assembly. Because he picked guys. Are you seeing in Numbers 11, Exodus 18? He picked guys. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, having said that, the nation of Israel under the Old Testament went to, they were meant to carry out God's instruction in the earth. They are, going, they are meant to carry out God's instruction as God's people on the earth. So it was within their activities that the concept of ecclesia was produced. Within their activities, the concept of ecclesia was produced. So based on this, the writers of the New Testament, that is Epistles, found a unifier using the word ecclesia. So now, when the Epistles want to talk about ecclesia, they will find a unifier and say, called out ones, the church, right? Um, offices, are you seeing it? They will find that unifier. So even though the word kwaha, Q, Q, A, let me check it well, Q, A, H, A, L, Q, A, H, A, L, and Ecclesia mean different things in their language. The unifier was adopted because of the similarity on theology. So that would mean that, let me tell you what, let me tell you what um, identification unifier does. So I will pick Ecclesia like this word. Because now it means called out once. Called out. It means church. It means, what did you say it means again? Those who have responsibilities. Those who have responsibilities. They make laws. Who have responsibilities. Make laws. Rights and privileges. Rights and privileges. Now, so now, look at something. So now, look at everything it quite means. What identification unifier does is such that I will use this ecclesia as everything and it's going to mean one. Okay, let's do another example. I'm coming. We'll come back to this. Let's do another example. Let's see atonement. Let's look at the word atonement. Or before we look at it, Mm. Before we look at it, mm. we are entering into a sweet one now. Very soon. Look at the word atonement. The word atonement is from the Hebrew word kapa. Look at atonement. K A P H A R. And it was used 102 times in the Old Testament. 102 times in the Old Testament. And the word atonement occurred only once. In the, New, in the New Testament. It was used one or two times in the Old Testament. And the word um, atonement was used just one time in the entire New Testament. Now, and that's in Romans 5 verse 11. If you look at Romans 5 verse 11, it says, and not only so we have joined God through Jesus Christ our Lord and we have received atonement. 
atonement. Now, the word atonement can be translated from the Greek word cathalage. Cathalage. K A T A L L A G E. Cathalage. And it implies reconciliation. Now, see you. You know that reconciliation is in the is in the New Testament, right? And atonement was used one or two times in the Old Testament, right? And atonement just occurred. The word English, the word in English language, atonement occurred just once in the New Testament. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Remember what we were saying? We said that atonement was used one or two times in the Old Testament as kapa, right? And in the New Testament, it will occur just once in Romans 5 verse 11. And now, the, the, the Greek meaning of, the Greek word of atonement is kathalage and it implies reconciliation. Now, recon- just on you seeing this reconciliation now, a lot should be running through your mind. That means... How many scriptures can run through your mind quickly? First Corinthians 5, reconciliation, all of those things now. So could that be that? I'm sure one of the things that will come to your mind is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, verse, uh, verse 18, where it says he has reconciled us to himself, given us the mission of reconciliation, all of those things. You can also see Romans eleven fifteen, where it says, and to them reconciling to the word. So now the word atonement was derived from the word haton. Meant that is a t. Let me let me write the surface. It's like a surface word. It's like a surface word. Um, let me write it down for you. A a t o n. Let me check it again. A thon meant a t. I think. O N E I M E N T atonement. So, and historically, and etymology, it implies atone, that is meaning to be in harmony or to be reconciled. That is what it means etymology in in the etymology um etymologically sorry. It means when somebody has thrown, that is, to be at harmony, to be reconciled. Furthermore, but look at something in the Septuagint, which is an, the Septuagint, when we say Septuagint, Septuagint means um, the Greek Bible of the Old Testament, that is, you know the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, right? The Greek, the Greek of the Hebrew Bible. So that is, we can say the Septuagint is what Jesus used because it was, the Greek, the Hebrew would have been translated to Greek in his world. Are you seeing it? So that shows that Jesus will be reading the Old Testament in Greek, just like you and I are reading the Old Testament in English today. So the Septuagint can safely be called Jesus' Bible in the sense that in his world, they were reading Greek. Many of them might not understand Hebrew. So that means it has to be translated. Are you getting what I'm saying? To the Hebrew by from the Hebrew to the Greek. So now in the Septuagint, because and why do we refer to the Septuagint words? Is because it's an Ella translation of the English version. It's it has the word ex 
E-X-I-L E-X-K-O-M-A-I and that is more um, intensive translation of the word is an is a more interesting translation of the word h i l a x k o m a i is kalomai and is translated as propitiation propitiation in the new testament so now look at what the contem- contrary to contemporary meanings if you look at atonement if you go and check atonement probably in the dictionary and all of those things in the contemporary meanings it will mean to cover I mean i atone for my sins i cover my sins you know when you say i atone i don't know if you know what it means i pacify cover or pacify sins when you say you know when the catholic ones there you want to atone for your sins you want to cover your sins you want to pacify your sins you want to you know that's why you see you cannot use the english word to really explain the bible because now we just saw that atonement in the Greek means cartilage, reconciliation. So that would mean that when we are looking at reconciliation now in 2 Corinthians 5.18 now, that's also, that's also atonement. Are you seeing it? Now, so look at it now. So, But if you are to use the Greek dictionary meaning as well, English meaning as a atone, to pacify, to cover up sins. Now, that shows that the words referenced in the Greek and the Hebrew text do not convey such meaning. So the use of the temple, the use of the temple of the sacrifices uh, was to depict what God will fulfill in the reconciliation with man. Now I want to explain what unifier means. Give me a minute. So that would mean that in tandem with the etymology of the word atonement, which implies to be in union or to be in harmony, because when you look at the word atonement, means union, harmony, reconciliation, all of those things. In the New Testament book of the Bible, the authors with the knowledge and the narrative of the background, kapa, K-A-P-H-A-R, that is in the Hebrew, wrote with several words to explain the word fully. So they will use atonement, right? In the New Testament, they will use reconciliation, right? They will use... um, They will use... They will use um, propitiation. Is for for is the propitiation, is the reconciliation. They will use those words to show us what God did. Propitiation is the same word. Are you getting what I'm saying? What God did in His compassion and His kindness to bring man in union with Him. Are you seeing so now? You see that you will not see the word atonement like that. You see atonement, right? You see propitiation, you see reconciliation in the New Testament, right? And everything means the same thing. But it's just a way to explain God's compassion and kindness to bring man to, man to him. So that shows that the reader would continually have to cross the grammar barrier. So if you want to, let me give you, let me tell you, let me, let me, let me, let me help you now. The Bible is not as English as you think. I think I'm fast. I'm getting faster than myself in Bible Eminotics. This is something I'm supposed to tell you in future, in the in Bible Eminotics someday. But I will say it now: the words in the Scriptures are not as English as you think, because look at what atonement means now in English language: pacify, right? Cover sin. But in actual term in the Greek, what does it mean? Reconciliation, propitiation. Uh, are you getting what I'm saying now? 
So that shows that we will have to obviously cross the language, the grammar barrier. So, in order to ascertain the meaning of the intended, of what the authors intended, because the authors know what they were writing about. So, for us to really, really understand what the writers were writing about, we will have to cross the grammar barrier. So, this again will bring to import systematic theology. So, this is why we have, so this is why you and I, Go and check most of our messages. You will see systematic theology. I'll tell you, he was using this place, but it doesn't really mean this statement. I don't know if you have heard that in most of our messages. That is what we call systematic theology. Bringing the, the, the understanding of the, of the text, the grammar, into proper context of how it's fitting into the word. Are you getting what I'm saying? So now, let's, if, if you now go back to that, what we're saying in that uh, ecclesia, so, Ecclesia now, it means called out ones, right? It means elders, offices, right? And all of those things. So, that shows that once you see elders, you are seeing functions of what is in the Ecclesia in the church. Are you seeing it? When you see people carrying out duties, pastors, um, teachers, prophets, are you seeing it? They are functions of what? The Ecclesia. Are you seeing it? And everything all mashed up together has we are the called out ones. That's what this is what will now lead me to what is called the unifiers. Now, because now I think this is where I will stop today to make you understand this carefully. So we are saying, oh, well, oh, uh, maybe we'll do one more session, maybe not. So I say I don't want to laugh so that pastor will know. People quickly have to control and say, I'm not laughing, I just want to bone. So the pastor will not change his mind and say, Are you laughed? <laughs> Wait, did I used to torture people like that? I say, Because you laughed, they will continue. Did I used to do that? Because I noticed that even on the Zoom meeting, some of you used to keep your laughter. You just want to laugh. You say, Hmm, if I have another problem, come. <laughs> I'm not for the Yoluru. You know what for the Yoluru means? I'm sure Indidi does not know. But let me explain. Because of our future audience too. For the Yoluru is that person that he does not smile. He's that guy in a, in the Nollywood movie. I think he just died recently. They, say, they said he died a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah, that is that guy in a Nigerian movie that is very wicked. Is the evil one, he gives you jams, he gives you voodoo, he gives you everything, and he does not smile. So anybody that so anybody that does not smile in the Nigerian community Yoruba world, they call it, ah, are you fadi Yoluru? <laughs> are you getting what I say? That is what it means. Do you, does it make sense? So that what we just did now is bringing the world. <laughs> That's Bible Eminotis. Explaining the Nigerian community on the Yoruba world into the Western world. <laughs> so now I can safely today now use Fadili Oluru in my context now in my teaching context because now I've explained it to you also. Now when I say Fadili Oluru now you will mean a wicked person, right? So if I want to explain the devil now, you know, if they want to explain the devil now to somebody in a Yoruba world now. They can safely use for the Yoluru as a 
before the Yoloro Shimanshi, what I said is, as far the Yoloro used to do, that's how the devil used to do. <laughs> you know, it's that simple. You because and that, you know, to to older generation of uh, others are grandmothers and everything in the Yoruba world, that that Fadi Yoloro contest will make them understand the devil very well. Because Fadi Yoloro always acts devilish things, always do fetish things, always chant it. In fact, it was believed that at some point people went to do research on him and say, Is, is he really a juju guy? He's like, is he really? I'm serious. People have to really go to his house to do investigations to find out if the guy is really <laughs> a, a voodoo guy. Because all the scripts they give him to. Father Yoloro has never acted a good guy in a movie. Never. I wonder he did it all his life. Babasu has even still acted. <laughs> but Father Yoloro has never. It's always anything that has to do with. Chief priest, incantations, <laughs> voodoo, ifa priest, devilish things. That's all he had in the movie. <laughs> so if I want to use, if I want to explain now to a Western world now, say Fadi Oloru, you will understand what I'm saying. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's Bible when we notice. So it's like saying, it's like saying, it's like saying bringing, it's like saying, it's like saying bringing. Uh, unifier. I'm bringing the unifier to work. Now, that's what brings me to explain this. And if you have been sleeping before, keep sleeping. Because where I'm going to explain now is very important. Because the unifiers are identification marks. Uni what is the unifiers? The identification marks that marks a person or thing and bring together the words of the author Identification unifier brings together the words of the author of a text and the reader of a text. So it's meaning that it's just like when I want to teach you answering perplexing questions now, do you know what I want to do? I want to do identification unifier. I want to bring the word of the author that wrote it, right? And our own word together as one. Are you seeing it? Are you guys seeing it? So it's to bring together the words of the author of the text and the reader of the text. More so, unifier serves as a viable tool in bridging the gap. It's like saying you are bridging the gap. Bridging the gap between the Old Testament writing and the New Testament writing. So a crucial question that you and I will ask is, what are the main unifiers common to the author and the reader today? What are the main unifiers common to the word of the author and the reader? Can somebody think? Just think. What is that? Can somebody just... Ah, if somebody gets this, eh? Ah, what... Can somebody just think of one common thing that is a main unifier between the word of the author and the reader? And the word of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and together. I have three things I want to explain here. Can somebody just guess one of the three things? Remember I said, unifier is, identifier unifier is the one of the two, viable two, that bridge the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I said, it brings together the words of the author and the reader of the text. And I said, identifier unifier marks a person or things. 
the word of you say the word? Hmm. You are close. Eh? What are the common? What are the main? No, I'm not saying just common. What are the main common? Main you common unifier of the word or the water and the reader today. <laughs> Think, think, think. Try to think. Let's count through your entire Bible. Hmm, I like that. Control. Culture is a good one. Okay, let me, let's just go. Number one, faith and unbelief. Unbelief is common. <laughs> you know, though, faith and unbelief, they had to believe the gospel in the Old Testament. They had to believe the leader. I did not believe it today. Simple stuff. Faith and faith or unbelief, number one. I'm sure you did not think about that, right? It's a unifier now. Look at what I taught you in Let There Be Light. I showed you the voice, right? And I showed you that. I showed you in Deuteronomy how that if they heard the voice and they did not kill not, they will perish, right? And in the unifier in John 3:16, the same thing was repeated. In our world today, if we preach the gospel and nobody not hear us, they are going to still perish. Are you seeing the unifier? Faith and unbelief. So we need that. That's a common unifier in the both worlds. Let me tell you another common unifier: Christology, the study of Christ. It must be seen in the entire world. So say, how is this a unifier? <laughs> another one: Moses and the prophets. So say, ah. How is this a unifier? How is Moses and the prophet a unifier? We are going to get there. Who is your? Ah, that's smart. That's smart. <laughs> that's smart. But we'll get, but let's, let's examine these three for now. Because we are looking at the main one. <laughs> because of because I've given you a spoon. You know, say... <laughs> Alright, faith in God. Now, let me explain faith in God. You see how it's a unifier. So, we'll look at... Yeah, that's JS. Because I'll give you a spoon now. Yeah, that's it. Genesis 15 verse 6. Let's look at... Let's look at a uh, unifier. Genesis 15 verse 6. This study now is now making sense. Our study of Bible, we notice now, our journey, we just... It's like saying... We just... You know, it's like saying that bump when you are driving away and there's a bump ahead, we just crossed a bump. <laughs> Look at Genesis 15 verse 8. Are you enjoying this, guys? Interesting, sorry. Very taxi. This is something that people does not like. <laughs> Genesis 15 verse 6. And he believed the Lord and it was counted for him for righteousness. So in this account, God spoke to Abraham and his response was that he believed God and the actions was that God's word was that of faith, right? Now, what did God tell Abraham? Genesis 15, verse 1. What did God tell Abraham? And these things, and these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and I am exceeding great reward. That word shield is from the Hebrew word magnen, M A G E N, M A G E N, magnen, which refers to someone who is armed. Someone who is armed. So God was referring to an advocacy of a promised savior 
in this text when it says, I am thy sheet, M-A-G-E-M, magnin, and it refers to someone who is armed, armed, like a armed soldier, someone who is armed. And God was referring here to the advocacy of the promised Savior. The word reward is from the Hebrew word shasak, S-A-K-A-R, S-A-K-A-R, and it is used for wages, wages. Says and the exceeding great reward rages. So furthermore, Abraham said, "Lord God, without give me, uh, uh, without give me sin that I am childless, the steward of the house of the Elysia of Damascus." And Abraham said, "Behold to me." And Abraham said, "Behold to me, thou hast given me no seed, and lo, born into the house is their hair. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This is not thy end, for this shall come out from thy bowels, and shall be thy hair. And God brought forth, and he brought forth abroad, and said, Look now towards the heaven, and tell the stars, if thou will be able to number them. When I start teaching you the supernatural world contest, we're going to look at this again, but let's uh, say, Thou will be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So, and the Bible says, He believed God and it was accounted for him for righteousness. So, he therefore accounted for faith. Abraham believed in what God told him. And subsequently, he was declared righteous. So, hence, it can be inferred that Abraham's righteousness and all the concept of righteousness under the Old Testament writings was by faith. In other words, Abraham's faith, therefore, became a, a reference for point to the concept of righteousness. Abraham's faith became a center point on the concept of righteousness. Not to believe God's word would now amount to unbelief. Are you seeing it? So that means if I don't believe God's word, I'm an unbeliever. And that's unbelief. So Abraham believed what God has said in his word. Are you seeing it here? And that became now the center point where it says he was hunted for him for righteousness. So that shows that the Bible is a book of persuasion which is written with the intent to cause all men to believe. See, let me tell you. Look at me, everybody. This thing you are holding in your hands eh, is a book of persuasion. That is why my preaching and my teaching it's not, <laughs> let me just talk like Paul. It's not with the title words of my wisdom. My preaching and my teaching is to persuade you to believe it. That's why when you are teaching people in your outreach, you are persuading them. It's like, you are, it's like an affiliate market. It's like you are selling something to them. I believe you know that's what you are doing. It's like a business. Like, come and buy what I'm selling. It's a persuasion. That's why persuasive skill is necessary. But by the Holy Ghost anyway. But I don't think it's necessary in, in preaching the gospel. Because the Bible is a book of persuasion. It is written to the intent that men, that to cause men to believe. So in all the 39 books of the Old Testament, there are different phrases that elicit the call to believe. The phrases are spread as to follow. That's why you see phrases like follow, to trust, to obey. To have faith. You see those phrases in the Old Testament. You, have you noticed it? You see, thou shalt follow, thou shalt trust, to trust, to obey all that I've commanded thou to do, to have faith. Those things were written. And so that shows that the, the intent is to cause men to believe. That's the intent of the Bible. So if somebody asks you, what's the intent of the Bible? It's a book of persuasion. It's to cause men to believe in. 
This is the first thing a reader must be able to deduce when studying the Old Testament, right? And I showed you in Let There Be Light. The voice, obey, right? It thou shall obey my voice, right? What is that happening? To believe. So, having established the foregoing, the teacher of God's word ought to endeavor to communicate the Old Testament narratives to his audience. So, you see that we cannot base our studies solely on the New Testament alone. Are you seeing it? Because it's from the Old Testament that we will see even faith in action. We saw it in Genesis 7, uh, this Genesis that we just read now, Genesis uh, 15, where it says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him for righteousness. So that means if you even want to now understand the concept of righteousness now, who would you go to first? Abraham. Are you seeing it? That is it. So having established that, the teacher of God would ought to endeavor to communicate the Old Testament narratives to his audience with a view for them to believe in the truth that is embedded therein. So his work is also to, so the work of a teacher or a Bible preacher is to bridge the gap of the Old Testament and New Testament writing. We are to bridge that gap. Okay, so now let's look at Christology. Because we said two, right? Faith and unbelief, right? Now you are seeing how faith now is all throughout the scripture, right? Faith and unbelief is throughout the scripture. Now let's look at Christology. Christology, the uh, when you look at the uh, what they call this thing, encyclopedia. Come on, I need to God help me. This English language of a thing, my Yoruba is, but I'm growing. I'm I'm watching more American movies now. It's it's broadening my my culture and my mind and my every and my every sense of reasoning. So that I can be able to communicate better to my audience. <laughs> so that to avoid stories that touch. <laughs> so if you look the the the, the Encyclopedia. The Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia Bri Britannica. Um, dear. The S like the what you said <laughs> the, the encyclopedia britannica defines the term christology as the part of theology that is concerned with the nature and the work of jesus including such matters as the incarnation the resurrection and the human and the divine nature, as well as even their relationship. The Encyclopedia Britannica defines Christology as the part of theology that concerned, you know, there's Christology, there's Soteriology, there is Pneumatology, there is Theology. Theology is the study of God, Christology is the study of Christ, Soteriology is the study of salvation, Pneumatology is the study of the things of the Spirit, uh, uh, Ecclesio Ecclesio study of the church. Uh uh there's one uh um demonology, study of demons, eschatology, study of the end times, all of those things and um, end of the world and all. Okay, so now 
so it's like a whatever you said britannica defines the christian define the scholarship i'm so i'm so embarrassed of myself but i can never a kitty man can never be embarrassed as an odarud boy we got no shame man <laughs> we got no shame <laughs> as an odarud boy i don't care man anyway as a part of theology that is concerned with nature and the work of Jesus. Very soon, Odarod will soon be in my theology. And it will soon be in my, in my Bible eminotis. Everybody has their own eminotical tools. But in my own, I'm going to pick, I'm going to explain Odarod to you. So when I say Odarod, you, you will have an impression of what it means. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's going to be infused in our study of the scripture. Um, I'm going to Poundediam is going to be infused. All the things I like is going to Yamaneg is going to be infused. Um, uh, Olamide is going to oh that one is for sure. Olamide is going to be infused into our deal. And don't for um, Olamide's birthday is fast approaching soon. I'm just I'm just doing a free promo. So very soon when you see me flood, I might not really flood WhatsApp, but I'll flood Twitter. I want to see me flood my Twitter very well. Just don't blame me. Um, because I have hypocrites on my on my on my WhatsApp, so I don't I might not be able to post as much as I want to. But well, how did we get here? Nature. Okay, the nature and the work of Christology and the work of the nature and the work of <laughs> So but I'm I'm really serious. We're going to have as we progress in ministry, we're gonna have uh, in our study of the scripture, we're gonna have those um Identification unifiers that unifies the world. <laughs> I will use. We'll be using Odaro to bridge the gap. We'll be using um, Olamide also. We'll be using um, Poundediam. Things that I like because I can't imagine calling it Fufu. God forbid. <laughs> Fufu is one that hates to Poundediam. Are you getting what? I'm? So we'll, we'll pick those terminologies. I will use it as our Bible hermeneutical tools. I mean, you are my audience, and the, person, and the audience that will hear me must be used to the writer or the speaker. <laughs> so whoever audience must be used to the speaker. You get what I'm saying. So, uh, so, <laughs> so, it's Christology is, so the so Encyclopedia Britannica, I think I got it this time around, defined Christology as the part of theology that is concerned as, uh, with the nature and the work of Jesus, including such matters as incarnation, resurrection, the resurrection, and his human and divine nature, as well as their relationship. Whilst reading the Old Testament books of the Bible, you will notice that the word Messiah was used a lot. If you look at Daniel 9, 25 to 26, you will see the word Messiah where it says, and they build up to they build up Messiah after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be caught of Messiah. You just see that word Messiah. That word Messiah is from the word uh, Mash, Mashiach. M-A-S-H-I-Y-C-H. M-A-S-H. High Y C H and it implies deliverer. 
anointed or consecrated person. Deliverer, anointed or consecrated person. Deliverer, anointed or consecrated person. Um, in other words, God was going to deliver by a Messiah. So, which explains the concept of Christology. That is, the Messiah is the major unifier in the writings, which lays the foundation for Christology. So, that said, theology is compressed. Theology, when I say theology, I mean what? The story of God. Now, it's compressed into Christology, which details about the Messiah, which is Christ, and the need of a Savior. So, how does this work? It does it to whom it does it for. That is, um, when you look at the facts of the 39 books of the Old Testament narratives and that. Well, we're going to look at um, Moses and the prophet later because hmm, we're going to spend quite some time on that one. Then that will now lead us into Genesis 1 again. Explaining Barashit, the heaven, the earth, in the beginning, um, the dateless time. We're going to, it's like saying, we are picking let there be light again, but not let there be light in a different perspective of interpretation of the scripture, in a more concise one. But now, see, one thing about identification in the fire is we'll be able to be able to bridge the gap of our study in the sense that um, we'll be able to identify and say, okay, this word was used in that word, this word was used in this word, how does it apply to our world today? And, and we are not losing the context. Are you getting what I'm saying? We are not losing the context of what is being said. Blessed? All right. So 